Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. You know, the Old Testament is full of many miracles and a wide variety of miracles. But nowhere in the Old Testament will you ever find the blind being healed. It just doesn't happen. Now the prophets had said it would. They said God would heal the blind. But no one did until Jesus came. Jesus came, healed the blind, and no one since has done the same. And I think it's interesting when you consider our Lord's language regarding such healings. We call these things miracles. A miracle is when God evidently suspends the laws of nature and directly intervenes in the affairs of men. Jesus doesn't refer to this healing of the blind man as a miracle. He refers to it in this way, as simply a work. A work. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no man can work. To Jesus, what we call a miracle is really no different than you going to the office. It's no different than perhaps you're rearranging your files or sending out a few emails. For our Lord, that's how simple it is. No one healed the blind before Jesus. No one healed the blind since Jesus. Not only did he do that, but he did it a lot. If you were to list all of the healing miracles of Jesus by category, the largest number by category would be his healing of blindness. Now in our gospel reading for this morning from John chapter nine, Jesus sees a man born blind, congenital blindness from birth. Jesus notices people who are in need. It's like Jesus. But the disciples also notice the blind man, but they notice him in a different way. They notice him as a problem that requires explanation. That's why they ask the question, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind. Now, when you and I hear that question, we're likely to think, how primitive of those men to think that way? I mean, what possible connection could there be between the parent's sin on the one hand and the child's blindness on the other? And more than that, how can a child in the womb sin in the first place? How's that possible? Well, I would recall Genesis chapter 25 when 
our forefather in the faith, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca, were expecting. Rebecca was expecting twins. Jacob and Esau were in the womb. And the English, English translation says they were struggling together. I tell you what, the Hebrew is much more graphic than that. They were fighting one another in the womb. That Hebrew word that we translate as struggle is a word for physical abuse, cracking someone. That's what Jacob and Esau were doing. They were duking it out in the womb before they're born. And that presaged what they would do after birth. They were always struggling. And it came to the point where Esau eventually was plotting to kill his brother, Jacob. And so, what possible connection could there be between the parent's sin and the child's blindness? How does that work? Well, wasn't it God who said in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God and I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands. God's mercy is without limit. His judgment has limits to the third and fourth generation. And so let me ask you this. Is it possible that children suffer for the decisions their parents make? Is it possible that children suffer consequences of the poor choices that mothers and dads make? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And that's why I would say that parenthood, in addition to being a great blessing, a great joy, a wonderful God-given vocation, it's also a guilt-ridden occupation. <laughs> It's both. You know, as, as parents, we feel guilty so much, you know. I, well, we may feel guilty for allowing our children too much freedom on the one hand, or we may feel guilty for allowing our children too little freedom on the other hand. We may feel guilty because we cannot give our children the same advantages that some other parents can give to their children. And then consider this. If you're the parent of a special needs child, your guilt becomes supersized. It really does. This question will occur to you. Have I done something that has contributed to the condition of my child? You'll ask yourself that question. Did I consume too much alcohol before I realized I was pregnant or some such thing? You see, these are cause and effect questions. The very same kind of cause and effect question the disciples are asking in John 9. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? 
You see, we live in a cause and effect world. Causes have very real effects. And therefore, the disciples at the question, the, the, the question they ask is really the questions that you and I pose to one another all the time. And that brings us to point number one in the outline. The disciples see the blind man as a problem which requires explanation. It requires explanation. And letter A, our temptation is always to diagnose the cause. We're simply driven to do that. We've got to find the cause. We need to understand how this situation came about. We're driven to do it. We can't help ourselves. Why? Because letter B, if we can diagnose it, then we assume that we can avoid it ourselves. You see, this is all about security and creating security for ourselves. If we can figure out the problem and its cause, then maybe we can steer clear of that disability or that problem, whatever it may be, moving forward. So the disciples see the man as a problem that demands explanation. Roman numeral two, on the other hand, Jesus sees the blind man as an example of how God actually works in the world, how he works in the world in a gospel manner. Letter A, some things happen not from bad causes in the past, not from bad causes in the past, but they happen for good purposes in the future. For good purposes in the future. And there's no better illustration of this than God's forgiveness revealed at the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, you and I are the bad causes. You and I sin every day. We create the necessity in God's heart to solve the sin problem. And how does he do it? By taking our guilt upon himself at the cross, dying in our place, bearing our sin, our guilt, our punishment, so that he might be able to be in relationship with those whom he loves dearly. And that would be you, and that would be me, and all people. This is how God works. He's looking forward to the good purpose which only he can bring about. And God's loving heart is revealed to all the world at the cross. His loving heart is revealed there to all who have the eyes to see, the eyes of faith. There's a good illustration of this in Genesis chapter 50, the story of Joseph. And Joseph is a Christ figure. I think many of you are aware of that. If you're not, please be aware of it now. This man is sold uh, to uh, really uh, an early death by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. And Joseph suffers terribly in Egypt. He is thrown into prison. He's down on the pavement, spiritually and emotionally. But God would not leave him there. God would not forget Joseph. God elevated Joseph to be prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And when Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers in the last chapter of Genesis, this is what he said. He said, as for you, 
You meant all of this for evil, but God meant it for good in order to save many lives. You see, that's the Lord. That's how he works in the world. He brings us low, but he lifts us up as he did our Lord and Savior Jesus, brought low at the cross and lifted up on Easter Sunday. So letter B, God lifts up the lowly. God lifts up the lowly. And I think of the many examples, the Magnificat. You know, God fills the hungry with good things. He has regard for the humble. This is the Lord. His eyes are always on the the little things, those who are small and insignificant in the eyes of the world. As our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we would look at the poor in spirit with indifference or maybe with contempt. The poor in spirit, after all, are those who have nothing to contribute to God except their sin, and they know it. They bring nothing to the table in their relationship with God except their inability, their sinfulness. But they see a loving God who willingly takes all of that upon himself and elevates us to the status of beloved children. That's who God is. And that's letter C. Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates our darkness. He illuminates our darkness. You see, all of us are born blind, letter A. All of us are born blind. All of us are born disabled with regard to the work of God. We can't see it unless the Lord heals us of our spiritual blindness. This is what St. Paul means when he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, For once you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. He doesn't say that you were in darkness. He says you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. St. Paul writes elsewhere, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. St. Paul writes, the man without the Spirit of God does not receive the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Nor can he understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. Our blindness must be healed. And that's what our Lord and Savior came to do. Number two, it is our nature to seek causes. Now that's not always a bad thing to seek the cause of a problem or a situation or a disability is, I suppose, a noble task in one sense. But what flows from it is not so noble. Because when we seek to find and to discover the cause of a problem, the next thing we do, reflexively, we assign blame. That's what we're about. We want to assign blame so that perhaps we can exonerate ourselves in some way. We want to justify ourselves. That's our nature. But however, God's nature is to forgive and to reveal his mercy in Christ. 
It is to reveal his mercy in Christ. Now, I will admit, I'm not much into social media, but I know that there are social media platforms around. There's Facebook, there's Snapchat and Twitter and so on. These, as I'm told, are platforms for people to share themselves with other people. Well, I want to share with you that you are a platform. You who are in Christ, you are a platform for God to reveal himself to those around you. You see, it's our nature to look to the past and to discover the cause. We only have today. We don't have tomorrow. God has tomorrow in his hands. We have only today, and we have the memory of yesterday. And with the memory of yesterday, we look into the past to discover the cause of the problem or the condition that troubles us so that we can assign blame. We look to the past, but God looks to the future. God looks to the good purpose that he is bringing about from an otherwise unwelcome situation. That's God at work. I can remember many years ago, this was either in 72, um, after Explo 72, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, now it's called Crew. I guess they've changed their name. It was either after Explo uh, 72 or it was Key 73, which followed uh, in 1973. I was at a conference in Indianapolis and there were a number of us there at this conference, and we were going to go throughout certain neighborhoods in Indianapolis, knock on doors, and share the gospel. And I was paired up with a man named Charlie. Now, Charlie had not mild, but at least I would say moderate cerebral palsy. Charlie walked with difficulty. He spoke with a great deal of difficulty, but he spoke. And he was my partner. And we would knock on doors, and I would begin the conversation. I would explain to them why we were there. We had some information to leave with them, and if they had a moment, we'd like to talk with them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people would listen to me politely, but then Charlie would begin to speak. And in his own struggling way, he would share Jesus. He would share what Christ had done for him and for the person listening. And I want to tell you this. When Charlie spoke, people listened. People paid attention to him in a way they wouldn't with me. Now, I share that with you not to suggest that we should desire such disability. We don't seek it, but it happens. It comes. You know that. My point is simply this, that God uses even that, and especially that, as a platform to proclaim his goodness and his mercy in a way that people will hear, as opposed to a way they may not have heard previously. The Lord lifts up the lowly. This is his work. And so I say to you today, 
When you find yourself on the pavement spiritually and you think God has abandoned you, don't you believe that lie? He hasn't. What you experience now, maybe the loss of a job, maybe an unwelcome diagnosis, whatever it may be, what you experience now is but the prelude to the lifting up that God will bring about in your life. Even as he lifted up our Lord Jesus, even as he lifted up Joseph, he will you as well. Peter wrote in his first letter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Number three, the blind man receives not only sight, but sight, what I call sight beyond sight. He receives spiritual sight. Being able to discern what is not visible to the eye and yet is visible to the eyes of faith. We can look at Jesus on the cross with worldly eyes and say that's just one more criminal. A lot of people were crucified in the days of Roman occupation of Judea. He's just one more. But the eyes of faith say no. That dead man on that cross is my life. That condemned man is my exoneration. That's seeing him in a spiritual way, in a way that the world may not, but hopefully through your witness and through the powerful word of God, the world will see him in that way. You may be on the pavement today, but God will not leave you there. Your weakness now becomes the platform for God to manifest his strength. Your disability becomes the platform for Christ to manifest his ability at work in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.